0: Welcome to Cartels, Conspiracies, and Camarena. This is episode four of our podcast, and I am Jack Llewellyn, your host. I'm an author and a lawyer, and uh, I recently published a creative nonfiction titled Someone Had to Die, which delves into the Camarena case. And for those of you who have been around for the first couple of weeks, we've kind of set up some background around the Camarena case, talked a little bit about the book and the objective behind it, which in a nutshell really was to bring some academic rigor, academic scrutiny to some of the allegations, conspiracies, and things in uh, relation to the Camarena case. So today we're really going to get into some of those discussions, and we're going to talk about the last NARC. And when we talk about the last NARC, I mean uh, the last NARC being the series on uh, Amazon Prime, I hate to call it a documentary or a docu-series or anything of that nature, but that particular uh, series, we're also referring to the book of the same name written by Hector Boreas, and then we're also talking about other things that Mr. Boreas has said in the press um, or on social media over the course of time. So put all that together and call that The Last NARC. And what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about uh, the top 10 things that The Last NARC gets wrong, or at least doesn't give the full story about. Uh, last week I promised we were going to have a special guest, and you may have noticed that today's or this episode is coming out a day late. We had some... Uh, Some technical difficulties, shall we say, and and unfortunately our guest is not able to be here today, so I'm going to be the one going through this, but um, I I think our guest will be here next week, and we have some others coming up, so that's just a preview. I said this last week, and I want to reiterate this before we start into our top 10 list. The discussion we're going to have is not anti-anyone. I don't have any personal animosity towards anyone um, that we're going to talk about, Uh, and specifically with respect to Agent Boreas. My only concern is trying to find out what the truth was, and to dispel things that I think are not true. Um, In my book, I say something to the effect of, or one character says, you know, there may not be a truth. And I think that may well be the case. We may never know everything that happened or why or know all of what the truth is. But we can be pretty sure about what some untruths are. So with that, let's get into our top 10 things that the last narc gets wrong. Number one, and by the way, this is not necessarily in any um, order of importance, but maybe just order of... Uh, the flow of topics. Um, But one is uh, Hector Boreas' service with the DEA and more particularly with Operation Landa. Anyone who listens to uh, or watches The Last Narc that doesn't know the underlying facts, I think almost unquestionably Comes out with the impression that Agent Barea's worked at Operation Landa, uh, somewhat proximate to Agent Camarena's kidnapping and murder, and that he also worked in, spent time in, uh, conducted investigations in Guadalajara, and both of those are not true. Mister Barea's did not become. Uh, involved with Operation Land and the head of Operation Land until 1989 so years after the Cameron kidnapping and murder. He was always in Los Angeles at the time. The witnesses that he relies upon were largely brought to him in the United States by one or more people in Mexico including some unsavory characters Including uh, a, a guy by the name of Garante Bustamante, um, who has um, a, a dubious background and lots of, of reasons for why he might want to provide witnesses to the DEA um, and why he might have been uh, somebody who could provide the DEA and the U.S. Attorney's Office with Witnesses who would say what they need to say at the time they need to say it. We also know that uh, Agent Breas has made um, comments that he found uh, on Kiki's desk uh, documents relating to a journalist by the name of Manuel Buendia, who was killed about a year earlier than, than Agent Camarena. Uh, And we know that that's not true, because uh, it's fair to say that the DEA did not preserve in posterity Agent Cameron's desk. So what do we want to remember from this? Agent Boreas has no personal knowledge of anything that happened prior to 1989. He has no personal knowledge of things that occurred in the investigation, Uh, Shortly after, Agent Camarena was kidnapped, um, and he did not find the witnesses that have supported um, or upon whom he relies. Uh, Those were provided to him, and they were ones of many, many potential witnesses brought up to the United States. So that's number one. Number two on our top ten list is the CIA's involvement uh, in Camarena's abduction, interrogation, and murder. And I'm going to be a little bit um, brief on this for two different reasons. One is we discussed some of this last week, and uh, I think it speaks for itself. Number two is we're going to get into great detail in the next couple of weeks talking about the CIA's activities in Mexico, both in connection with uh, traffickers in Guadalajara, in connection with uh, Matabayesteros, and also in connection with some um, other activities that were going around, uh, around Rancho Buffalo that Probably have no connection to to anything um, directly to you know the topic here. So uh, again, gonna be a little bit short on this, but let's talk about a couple of things. So number one is if we want to look at the timing of the CIA's activity with the traffickers and the contras, um, you run into a variety of issues. Uh, again, keep in mind what we're saying here or what we're analyzing is the argument that the CIA was so deeply involved in something so nefarious or so concerning that if it became exposed the repercussions would have been so great that instead of allowing it to be exposed uh, the better thing to do was to pick up or have Camarena picked up And interrogated, and of course, eventually killed. As we're going to see next week, the timing doesn't quite fit. The if you look at the contras, if you look at uh, those sorts of uh, the the activities of the CIA during that time period, um, at best they were only beginning, uh, and the real significant involvement. The real significant involvement, contrary to laws put in place by the U.S. Congress, really didn't start until late '84, '85, and then went on further. So the timing of Camarena's abduction is uh, dubious at best. The other thing we talked about this last week is just the logic of it. Again, if if what the CIA is wants is to keep something quiet, would you really have a DEA agent kidnapped in Guadalajara so that hundreds of federal agents started looking at the case, started looking at things going on in Mexico? started analyzing everything Agent Camarena had ever done from a pure logical standpoint. Really hard for me to see where anyone in the CIA would say, that's a good idea. That's the way to keep things quiet. And if you talk to former CIA agents, uh, or operatives, people who'd worked with them, the far more likely course of events, assuming just for the sake of this conversation, but assuming that Camarena had stumbled across something that the the CIA didn't want him to know about, somebody from the CIA would have talked to somebody at the DEA, and somebody at the DEA would have called Camarena, or, more logically, his boss, Tiny Kirkendall, and said, back off. And if you don't want to back off, then, you know, we'll transfer you to Anchorage. Uh, so for those two reasons, both the timing and the, the just the logic, it doesn't quite work. Number three on our top 10 list is Felix Rodriguez. And of course, this is directly tied to uh, number two, which is the CIA involvement. But there's several things that really don't fit with Mr. Rodriguez. So number one is the timeline of his involvement. We know from the records of the Iran-Contra hearings. Remember, Mr. Rodriguez testified a couple of different times, testified openly, seemed to be fairly forthright. The investigations had thousands and thousands of pages of documents and exhibits and testimony and we've gone through all of those. Everything appears to suggest that the first time Felix Rodriguez was approached with respect to the Contras, with respect to doing any work for the Contras was in December of 1984. So that's Two months, at best, two months. More likely six, maybe seven weeks before Agent Cameron is abduction. And we know this because we have White House records and, and things of that nature of when he met with uh, people who worked for Vice President Bush at the time, uh, who of course had been the, a, a, uh, a head of the CIA previously. Other things we know. We know that in the testimony and in the documents relating to the Iran Contra case and all the investigations, there is not one mention, none, of Mr. Rodriguez ever being in Guadalajara. And one of the things, again, that's really important is he testified openly about a lot of things he did. As you probably remember, Felix Rodriguez you know, escaped Cuba, uh, was a strident anti-communist, anti-Castro, was involved in the Bay of Pigs, was in Vietnam as an anti-communist, ended up working with the CIA against the Contras as an anti-communist. He was proud of what he did. He stood up. Or, you know, Metaphorically stood up in front of Congress and said, yep, I was here, I was here. He talks about the bases he was at in Costa Rica and other places. Never once says anything, anything about being in Mexico, Guadalajara, or anything else. We also know that there are uh, assertions that Felix Rodriguez was in Miami at the time uh, Camarena was abducted and tortured. I know for a fact that many in the DEA believe that to be the case and that at least some in the DEA have seen evidence that they think supports that. Um, And I think we talked last week, there's just a logical issue of um, whether or not, you know, if if Felix gets involved in, you know, in in December of of 84, you know, are they really going to fly him out to Mexico, to Guadalajara, where he's never been, and... You know, March him up in front of Cairo Quintero at Lope de Vega and say Hey, I'm here to do an interrogation Uh, And put aside The fact, as we've talked about In the last couple of episodes, that nobody That listened to the tapes Nobody mentions a Cuban Uh, So That's Feliz Rodriguez That's the uh, number three on our list Of things that the last narc Gets wrong Uh, Number four is regarding Ruben Zulorze. As as you all know, I represented uh, or I was part of a team. I had you know, I, as I said, I started off as a baby lawyer, so I certainly didn't do anything on my own. But I was involved in the representation of Ruben Zunorce, uh for the better part of a decade, starting in about 1990. Never going to pretend to you that. That uh, Reuben was pure as the driven snow, but uh, Mister Perez in the um, in his book repeatedly calls Reuben a quote drug lord, and there simply is no evidence to support that. Um, any allegations of Mr. Zuno being involved in narcotics trafficking were relatively minor, relatively de minimis. Certainly no suggestion, other than in Mr. Berea's mind and in his book, that Ruben Zuno Arce was a drug lord on the level of Carlo Quintero or Ernesto Fonseca or Felix Gallardo. Simply not the case. There's nothing to support that. Mr. Breyes also talks and says that at the time of the uh, Camarena abduction interrogation that Mr. Zuno owned Lope de Vega and that simply is not true. There was a great deal of evidence presented at Mr. Zuno's trials that he had sold the house months earlier, that it had gone through a middleman and ended up being purchased by Rafael Caro Quintero, or somebody working on behalf of him, and that's an important distinction um, for a variety of reasons, most of which should be patently obvious. It's also really disingenuous to say that he owned it without at least acknowledging the fact that there was this evidence presented, um, including you know contracts. Deeds, etc., evidencing the sale of Lope de Vega uh, far before Agent Camarena was abducted. The third thing about Mr. Zuno that should be noted is there's the allegation that he was at Lope de Vega during the time of the interrogation of Agent Camarena, and there is absolutely no physical evidence, none no physical evidence to place Mr. Zuno at Lope de Vega while Agent Cameron was there so that's number four on our top 10 list things that the, the last arc gets wrong number five it relates to Rene Verdugo and we've talked about Rene Verdugo for a while um but here's what we know, notwithstanding what is said now by Godoy and Lopez Romero, there is no reason to believe. There, in fact, it's absurd to think that Rene Verdugo was involved in the actual abduction of Agent Camarena. we know for sure that in the first trial or the first Zuno trial, the testimony was that Agent Cameron was picked out um, or pointed out by a consulate employee. Well, then it turned out it wasn't really a consulate employee. It was um, another narco that um, some of the, the Traffickers um, who were actually involved, such as Lopez Romero, didn't know. And then somehow, somehow, in the intervening years, Lopez Romero and Godoy changed their mind. And, oh no, it wasn't a consul employee, a blonde consul employee. That's wrong. Um, and it wasn't uh, this other person. It, in fact, was Rene Verdugo. Nothing to support that. Nothing. Moreover, the DEA knows who the person was. was it wasn't a consulate employee. It was a trafficker who was involved, um, who had surreptitiously gone into the consulate seeking a visa. The DEA is certain they know who that is, and they're certain that it's not Rene Verdugo what's also interesting uh, uh, in this regard is within the last couple of days another interview this time in, in this one was in Spanish um and I don't have the the citation for you of where it was but I'm gonna find it for um and I'll have it for you in the next episode but agent Boreas now says that Rene Verdugo was the one who went up to Agent Cameron and says, the Commandant wants to see you. Always in the past, except for one occasion, always in the past, that had been um, El Sammy who said that, except one time in an LA Weekly article when Lopez Romero says it was him. But now, all of a sudden, in 2022, there's the allegation that was actually Rene Verdugo. Makes absolutely no sense. Uh, Number six on our top ten list is the abduction scenario. And we've talked about this a little bit previously. Um, Several things. So one is that um, in the description in his book, Aja Breas talks about there being a lead car, and that as Camarena is walking across the street, the lead car pulls up, and that that's how the abduction occurs. Keep in mind that in all the DEA6 reports from the people who say they were involved in the kidnapping, all of the testimony, nobody talks about there being a car. They talk about walking up and meeting him as he's coming across the street. They give other descriptions. They never talk about a car coming up. And they certainly don't talk about a lead car. As in more cars. uh, You know. Being on that street. So that's number one. Number two. We know. Much, much after the fact. That. Camarena's truck. Was unlocked. The next day. When agents. Kirkendall and. Uh, bachelor went to the car, to the truck, to Kiki's truck. It was unlocked. His radio was found on the front seat. Interestingly enough, let me back up. One, we have to assume, standard operating procedure, everybody acknowledges this, would have been to lock your, your door, especially if he had his radio in it. If you look at all of the reports, of how the abduction occurred. If you listen to the testimony, you read the testimony of Lopez Romero, everything, uh, the DEA 6 reports, everything, none of it mentions Kiki getting to the truck. It only comes up years later after Jaime Kirkendall's book makes this disclosure that the truck was unlocked. The other thing that Agent Brea says that is absolutely wrong is he says the abduction occurred in broad daylight in front of dozens of witnesses. And that is absolutely false. Absolutely false. When the DEA started investigating, at best, at best, there was one witness who was a chauffeur for the consulate um, who was walking in the opposite direction. And may have seen something. May. So that takes us to one that I think is the biggest one. And the hardest one for me to accept or frankly understand. Number seven is the allegation that Agent Camarena, while being interrogated, gave up Captain Zavala. That's an allegation that the first time I ever heard it or saw it was in Mr. Boreas' book. And it fits with absolutely nothing. Number one, it is not on the tapes that I've ever seen a transcript of. Certainly, there's nothing that is in uh, Agent Boreas' book that shows that it came from the t- the tapes. Moreover, it simply is inconsistent. Completely inconsistent with multiple accounts of how it occurred. The fact of the matter is Captain Zavala's kids. Describe how he was picked up the day of Agent Camarena's abduction. We know that they called the consulate and spoke to both Susie Lozano and Jaime Kirkendall the next day, so the day after Camarena's murder, in the morning, and said, our dad has been picked up. The facts are, that Captain Zavala was picked up from the Guadalajara airport the same day as Agent Camarena, and brought to Lope de Vega. At that time, it did not happen the next day, and it did not happen because Agent Camarena gave up Captain Zavala. Again, that one to me is it's short, it's simple. The argument is is easy if there's. Evidence to the contrary, by God, I'd love to see it. Number eight on our top ten list is the Guadalajara airport incident. So, as you'll remember, uh, after Cameron is is abducted, people are looking for him. Carlo Quintero goes to the airport. He's getting ready to leave. DEA agents rush to the airport, actually thinking they're going to find Felix Gallardo. They find somebody else. There's a little bit of a standoff. Pavon Reyes actually ends up allowing Karlo uh, Quintero to leave. And Caro then takes the plane to Caborca where he meets with his family before eventually going to Costa Rica. So I want to read you something that Hector has said in a, uh, in a Fox News report from October 10, 2013. Here's exactly what he says. Upon arrival, we were confronted by over fifty f8 one more time. Upon arrival, we were confronted by over fifty DFS agents pointing machine guns and shotguns at us. The DEA. They told us we were not going to take Caro Quintero, says Berea's. Recalling the standoff. All right, what's wrong with that? Number one is Hector wasn't there. And this may be artful wording, but anybody reading that, anybody logically reading that would take that to be Hector saying he was there. We were confronted by over 50. Agents pointing machine guns and shotguns at us. So he wasn't there. Number two. He he's quoted again as saying there were 50 DFS agents. There weren't 50 agents. That's ridiculous. In fact, Sal Leva, who was there and who later on became one of uh Agent Perez's partners on Operation Landa, testified at the trial. That there were eight DFS agents. And on cross-examination, he admitted that initially, in his report, he had said there were five. So whether it's eight or five, it's a big difference between 50. And here's the other thing. Agent Leiva testifies that they suspected it was Carl, but they didn't know. Because at the time, the DEA didn't have a good picture of Carl. Agent Leva says the next day, they were in the DEA office and they saw an old blurry picture of Carl. And he thought that was probably him. But he is very specific in saying, we did not know for sure that was Carl Quintero. And they certainly didn't say as Agent Brea says that they told us we weren't going to be able to take Caro Quintero. That's not true. We know it's not true because an agent who was there testified it wasn't true. Okay, number nine is the allegations against Jaime Kirkendall. And the real, real, real short version is... The assertion that, and some of this is implied, um, in at least in the, the, uh, the last NARC uh, series, but certainly in social media and other places, it's been made as a direct allegation. But the allegation is that Agent Kirkendall uh, was on the take, that money, maybe as much as $10 million, was delivered to him, Uh, at the the consulate in their offices. And perhaps even that Agent Kirkendall had some role in identifying Agent Camarena or in him being picked up. We're gonna devote one whole episode here in a week or two or three uh, to these allegations and to Agent Kirkendall. And uh, to his lawsuit against Amazon. But for now, um, let's let's look at a couple of things. Number one, we know for sure that after these allegations came out, the DEA conducted an investigation that they talked to many people about these allegations and that they found no evidence to support it. We also know that um, Susie Lozano, who again was the secretary for the DEA in the Guadalajara office, testified um, and, and has presented evidence in the past, and, and has told investigators that she never, ever, ever saw anybody walk into the, uh, the consulate um, with a briefcase. Uh, certainly, nobody came in with a you know um, with a briefcase. And uh, provided it to uh, Agent Kirkendall that she ever saw She notes that there was Security even in 1985 Not like it is today But you couldn't just walk into the consulate With a briefcase That nobody would look at um, And so y- You just have so many holes And so many gaps In th- this analysis uh, And there's Absolutely No evidence other than the belated testimony of, you know, of bad guys. The belated testimony of somebody who admits to picking up Camarena uh, that Agent Kirkendall somehow was anything less than uh, the exemplary DEA agent that uh, he is portrayed to be. Number 10 on our list of things that the last arc got wrong is something we talked about a little bit last week, but is Dr. Alvarez-Machine and the idea that he had administered drugs to Agent Cameron to keep him alive. Again, the, the Federal District Court Judge Rafiti granted a directed verdict Because the DEA, through the U.S. Attorney's Office, was unable to produce any evidence, any evidence, that Dr. Alvarez had actually administered anything to Kiki, had done anything with respect to uh, administering any kind of medical treatment to Agent Camarena. If you remember, we talked last week that when he was brought to the United States, uh, you know, kidnapped from Mexico, brought to the United States, Dr. McChine you know, freely talked about what had happened, said he was there, um, said he left. There's no evidence um, that he actually administered it. him. There's no real evidence he was there on the second day. There's nothing. And that's why... Dr. Alvarez, and I know I slipped into calling him Dr. Machain a minute ago, but there's a reason why Dr. Alvarez was released. There's a reason he was allowed to go back to Mexico. There's a reason he's in Guadalajara and runs a taco stand now. And it's because there was no evidence. And we talked last time about um, former assistant U.S. attorney Vanny Medrano saying in the last narc having the, the, the scene where he says, and Dr. Machai stabbed him in the heart you know, while administering lidocaine to, to Agent Camarena. There's no evidence of that, and shame on him, because if it's true, he should have been able to prove it. So, that, my friends, is our list of the top 10 things the last arc either gets wrong or is less than than honest about. I'll tell you it wasn't hard to come up with 10. We could have done the top 15, we could have done the top 20, uh, but nobody wants to listen to me go through 20. So we we kept it down to 15 or to 10, sorry. Um, but these are compelling, and these are reasons why even if even if you disagree or you are dubious as to one or two or three of these start looking at, at every one and when you add them together you have to start questioning the motivations the scrutiny the rigor of analysis starting way back in 1990 and 91 when Godoy and Lopez start talking, when they for the first time start talking about these massive conspiracies and the people involved all the way up to today, when all of a sudden, as I say, within the last couple of weeks, now all of a sudden it's Rene Verdugo who says the Commandant wants to see you. And when you start picking these things apart, you know, the tapestry that the government presented in the Zuno cases, the tapestry that overlaps that now with the allegations of Boreas and Madrano and Godoy, Lopez, and Lira, it starts to fall apart. The picture fades, and it simply doesn't work. Looking ahead, next week, as I say, we are going to jump into, well, I'm not sure, <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you, where is it going to start with um, the CIA, but that really depends on getting the the uh, the guest and, and getting him or her scheduled. And if we don't do the CIA next week, we're going to go in and talk a little bit about Godoy Lopez Romero and Ramon Lira and um, their involvement, and uh, really talk about what kind of people they are, and their histories in Mexico, and and see if that informs upon their reliability, so it's one or the other, and uh, in any event, I think they'll be interesting, hoping to have a couple of surprise guests coming up, and we've got some really good things um, in the next few weeks, so I hope you stick with us. And uh, again, really appreciate you listening, and we will see you next week.